I don't know how you think about Paul the Apostle, not Paul the Pastor. Sometimes we think of Paul as a bit cerebral and severe, maybe. And yet sometimes, from time to time in his writings, it seems like he just explodes with spontaneous praise. And it's one of these explosions we're looking at tonight. If you're using a church Bible, you'll find it on page 1191. And it comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. It's a doxology that's ascribing praise, glory to God. So Paul just seems to overflow. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In some ways, it's a kind of standard doxology. He addresses it to the king eternal, the king of the ages, always was king, always will be king. He's immortal, never going to die, never going to change, invisible. Huh. In, in contrast to all these other gods who have statues and temples and all kinds of paraphernalia, he's invisible. I think that kind of suggests also he's beyond our scientific reach. It really ties in with something Paul was saying this morning about God is way beyond us. We're never going to be able to measure him, weigh him, get him figured out and put in a box. He's invisible. He's the only God. Now, Paul knew there were any number of gods in that culture. In Ephesus particularly, they had one special one, but there really is only one. Part of the, the Hebrew polemic against polytheism. You can call as many things gods as you want, but Ultimately, there is only one. And this is the God Paul is addressing. And he wants to say to this God, I want you to have honor and glory forever and ever. It's probably a kind of Hebraic repetition here because honor and glory are kind of similar. So I think it's like he's saying, I want the highest honor, the greatest glory to go to this God. Okay, so it's a wonderful doxology, but what's going on? Well, if you want to understand something in the Bible, or actually something in anything else that's written, it's usually important not just to read the words, but to look more widely at the context, and particularly the actual text that surrounds this verse that we're going to look at. So what is going on? Well, actually, Paul has started off telling Timothy, his younger associate, whom he's left kind of in charge of things in Ephesus, that he needs to stop some people from distorting the good news about Jesus. Maybe they were leaders. Somebody, people, were propagating some kind of strange distortion of the good news. And that distresses Paul because it's important. We don't know what these distortions were really, and we don't need to know, but they were off track. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, shut them up, stop them. Don't let them do it. He doesn't exactly tell Timothy how, interestingly, but that's what he's saying. And he's so 
gripped by the real good news, the good news about Jesus that he himself is preaching, that he doesn't want any distortion of that because it, it's tragic to distort such good news. But instead of just describing what the good news is, he uses himself as a kind of example. And he's, it's like he's saying, look, the good news works like this. This is how it was for me. And so he actually goes back to his own history. We're going to read that together too. If you look at verse 12, he, he's gone on about the gospel and telling Timothy to stick with it and shut up these false teachers. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful or trustworthy appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul describes himself as the worst of sinners. Is Paul actually worse than a Hitler or a Pol Pot? Or I doubt it, but he feels acutely the wrongness of where he was, opposing the gospel opposing these early Christians. He is amazed that Christ Jesus our Lord, he says, has considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. You know, sometimes I think we imagine that Christian service, serving God, is a kind of duty, maybe even a chore. I think Paul would say, ah, oh, come on. This is the most amazing privilege. Something to be grateful for. And so he bursts out with this explosion of praise. Why? Well, why not? For goodness sake, goodness. I spoke earlier about context, the, the cultural context of what's going on here. In these cultures in which Paul worked, you relied on big men to get you stuff. You know, if you needed a job, you couldn't just fill in an application. You needed to know somebody who knew somebody and you could get a job. So you depended on these people. Now you could never repay them, but what was expected was that you would, apart from other things, one of the things you would do, you would sing the praises of your benefactor. So you'd be in the market one day, people say, isn't that Cassius? They say he's a good guy. Cassius is my, my patron, my benefactor. He is a great guy. And in a way, that's what Paul is doing here. He says, listen, this God who's blessed me this way, he is amazing. And I want to praise him. The other reasons, just the sheer wonder of the good news about Jesus. I think that just drove Paul. He, he really got it. 
And he wanted everybody to understand, but he never lost the sense of wonder and amazement at what God had done for him. And that Christ Jesus has considered me faithful. Paul was aware that he'd been on the wrong side. And God had chosen him. Jesus had commissioned him. So as we come to pray, and particularly to share communion, I thought it would be good if we remind ourselves of just the sheer wonder of the good news of Jesus. There's a little summary of it, if you like, in verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me, like you. Some of you would know that there's a kind of tradition in part of the Scottish church that says, I don't really feel able to take communion because I'm not worthy. Well, I understand that. And there's a sense in which we need to examine ourselves, as Paul says elsewhere. I don't believe he means it to be taken that way. Paul recognizes his past sinfulness. But it doesn't seem to plunge him into depths of despair or self-loathing. What it does is evoke this explosion of praise to a God who can save the likes of me. So as we share bread and wine, would you allow him to let that happen in your heart as well? This, this sense of amazement, of wonder. This God who has rescued us and called us to serve him and work for him. Yeah, for sure we come humbly, recognizing our failures and our sinfulness. You know, one of the glorious things about the Christian faith to me is that my position before God doesn't depend ultimately on me. It depends on Jesus, on his goodness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his perfection. As the hymn writer said, God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me? That's amazing. Do you see how amazing that is? It's magnificent. It's glorious. It's shocking. It's outrageous. It's crazy good news. It goes way beyond what we can understand. Just like Paul said this morning, we'll never fully understand God. I don't think we'll ever fully understand the good news. It's just outrageous. It's amazing and wonderful. So as we come to pray and to share in bread and wine, allow God to refresh in you and in me that sense of, wow, this is absolutely extraordinary. And it just makes no sense, humanly. It goes way beyond sense. It doesn't mean it's irrational. It's kind of supra-rational. It's into the realms of what God does. And that is just glorious and perfect. And I'm so glad. So we come to share in bread and wine, and as Anglicans call it, the Eucharist, thanksgiving. So let that thankfulness overflow in your heart as God makes these things freshly exciting and amazing and glorious and outrageous and crazy as we try to think about it. Let me just read it once more time. To the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. 
and you can join me in saying Amen. Thank you. Well, let's just